We thank you, Lord, that in the mountaintops and in the valleys, you never leave us and you never forsake us. And your grace is always sufficient for us. And we will expect it and we will look for it. And we will be ready to fully embrace it and give you praise for it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. And God bless you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody in God's house. Yeah, you know, a lot of times if you're not looking for anything, that's what you see, nothing. Amen? Faith has an expectancy. Faith is looking. Faith is ready. Faith has so much of God's word in them that they just look for the hand of God to move in every situation. Situations where the world gives up and the world just throws up their hands in the air. The child of God says, no, even in this, my God is with me. My God is for me. He will work all things together for good. His grace is sufficient for me, even here, even now. So the person of faith is looking and watching and seeing the glory of God, even in the hardest and strangest places. Can you say amen? Amen. God bless you. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church and everyone else. If you would, let us go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As we continue our sermon series from the book of 1 Thessalonians. This morning we want to talk about God's chosen people. God's chosen people. So if you would, 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter. Let's begin with verse number 4. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sakes. You became imitators or followers of us and of the Lord Jesus. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In fact, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols, and you turned to serve the true and living God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, the Lord Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I want to talk about God's chosen people, gleaning that thought right there, the tail end of verse 4, God's chosen people. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask you this morning to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Help us to understand and really appreciate the wonderful, wonderful truth 
that we are the chosen of God. Oh, God, may that stir heart to minister grace. May that move us in a place of rejoicing and confidence. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, God's chosen people. This morning, we want to look at some further evidence that the Apostle Paul saw confirming that the Thessalonians were indeed the chosen of God, the elect of God. Last week we began and we said this was a very young church. It was birthed in an atmosphere of persecution, very anti-Christian climate. They had little teaching a few weeks, maybe a month or so, before Paul was driven out by, by persecution. But this young group of believers had stood the test and they had stood firm. They had weathered the storm and they had been proven genuine believers in the Lord Jesus. And verse 3 is what we studied last week. We entitled it, Where's the Beef? And really it was the signs of a genuine convert. Where's the reality to someone that says they're a Christian? In verse 3 we see Paul gives thanks. But he clearly saw those three things. Their work produced by faith. Their labor prompted by love. And he saw their endurance. They endured, inspired by the hope they had in Jesus Christ. This group of believers was more, they had more than just a confession of Christianity. They had the action of Christianity. They had the demonstration of a genuine Christianity. Now this week, verse 4, we're looking at that word chosen. Older translations might have elect. But friend, listen, it is a glorious thought to be the chosen of the Lord. Talking to Christians now. If you're chosen, I want you to know some things this morning just to bless you and just to put some firmness in your foundation. If you're chosen of God, I want you to know Ephesians 1 and 4 tells us that God chose you and I before the creation of the world. He chose us. Talking to the church, he chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before you ever were, God set his affection and his desire upon you. Before your father ever smiled at your mother, God chose you and God elected you to be his very own. What an honor and what a privilege. Come on, say amen, somebody. The ch- you can't choose him unless he first chooses you. So get excited. You're saved today not because you found God. How's the old saying? God was never lost. Not one day was he lost. You and I were lost, but he found us. He woke us up. He turned us around. Somebody say amen. If you're chosen, recognize that God set his desire and his affection, his great love upon you before he ever called the worlds into order. And if you are the chosen of God, you need to recognize that Jesus told us that the chosen are chosen to a life of fruitfulness and victory and triumph. John 15 in verse 16, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. And I've appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that fruit would last. What a thought. If you're chosen, you're not being chosen to defeat. You're not being chosen to lose. You're being chosen to triumph with Jesus Christ. You are chosen to live a life that is fruitful and faithful and victorious and effective in the Lord. Somebody say amen. What's all this choosing? You're choosing to live victoriously as more than a conqueror. Glory be to God. Now let's remember this now. If you're chosen, the Bible expects you to act like you're chosen. Oh, good. I I thought I might lose an amen there. If you're chosen, live like you're chosen. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Therefore, 
as God's chosen people, because you're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves or put on or act like these things with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, patience. It goes on, forgiveness and love. If you're chosen, act like you're chosen. Come on, say amen. Chosen. As opposed to those that rejected the gospel. As opposed to those that refused to believe and come to Christ. Opposed to those that stumbled over the cornerstone Jesus Christ. But you believed. Therefore, as Peter says, 1 Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen generation. Hallelujah. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. What a thought. You have been chosen because you believe the good report. You're chosen, but you responded to the loving message of the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God. And since you've been chosen, God has set you apart and God has made you very part of his special church, his special people, his special family. And he has entrusted to you that wonderful privilege of declaring his praises and proclaiming his goodness and carrying out his purposes in the earth. If you're chosen, you're not just chosen to sit around singing one glad morning. You're going to fly away. You're going to fly nowhere. You're chosen that you might put your hand to the plow, find out where God has called you to do and give God your very best. Somebody say amen. amen. Chosen generation, a royal priesthood of people belonging to God that we might declare his praises. That everywhere God takes you, everywhere life takes you, you're there to proclaim the goodness of God. You're there to tell others about the mercy of God. You're there to let someone know there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. There is a hope and it is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Everybody wants to be chosen until they find out if you're chosen, you got to act chosen. Then you lose half the amen and they want to become the eternal security to the extreme group over there. Or they can just say they're chosen, live like the devil and expect to get to heaven one day. It don't work like that. Somebody say amen. I'm glad I'm preaching to somebody. Hallelujah. What a marvelous truth it is to be the chosen of the Lord. Before you and I ever longed for him or looked for him, God was reaching and God was drawing and God was pursuing you and I. Why? Because God wanted you. Because God loved you. Because God desired you. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord. He is the author and he is the finisher of salvation. He is the initiator of this great salvation. He first loved us, the Bible says. He found our hiding spot. He revealed himself to us. He opened our spiritually blinded eyes. He broke through our resistance that tried to keep him at bay. His grace drew us. His spirit convinced us and convicted us of sin. His blood purchased us. Oh, friend, he had to redeem those he chose. It cost God to love you and I. Cost him something to choose us. For in the choosing, he had to die to purchase us. Oh, what an honor it is to be the chosen of God. What a wonderful privilege it is, friends, to be called the chosen of God. Never take that lightly. Never brush that off. That ought to bless you every morning. That ought to humble you every morning. That ought to excite you every morning. If indeed you are the chosen of God.
You know, they asked Mr. Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher, the 1800s, they said, how do you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? His response, I never try to reconcile friends. I never try to reconcile friends. See, both have their part. You and I had to respond and receive Jesus. You and I had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith in him. We had to accept him. We had to surrender our lives to him. We had to turn from and turn to. You see that one of the last verses we read in our text, one of the chief things that they saw in the Thessalonian church, they turned from idols, turned to the living God. There's something we have to do if something's real. We have to leave our idols and our sin, and we've got to give ourselves to Christ. But let us not miss the point. Before you and I could ever do that, before you and I could ever want to do that, it all begins with the grace and desire of God. God is the author and the initiator. Of salvation. Jesus said in John 6 44, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Aren't you glad he drew you? <laughs> Aren't you glad he drew you? Amen. Oh, I wasn't looking for him. He, he drew me. Amen. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't seeking. He sought me. Isn't that the truth? Oh, yeah. Because of that fact alone, Christian, those of you that know you're saved, know your sins are forgiven. Know you're a new creature in Christ. You should wake up every morning with a sense of joy and gladness and humility. What a glorious truth. God loves me. God desired me. God chose me. Hey, it sure beats that God rejected me, neglected me, and overlooked me. Come on, say amen. I feel good. God, he didn't have to choose me. He didn't have to choose me. He wouldn't have missed a beat if he didn't choose me. Let's be honest now. Oh, it's a privilege that he chose me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You think about it. Some of y'all grew up in church like I did. You think about it. How many kids in the same Sunday school class you went to and I went to heard the same thing and did nothing to them? Just didn't penetrate. It just didn't sink in. They didn't get it. Some of them had the same parents, the same upbringing, but it just never sunk in. But God, he made it so real to me. I know he made it so real to you. He made it desirable. He made it attractive. Hallelujah. And others, you didn't grow up in church, but think of your testimony. You didn't want God. You didn't grow up in a religious upbringing. But God stepped in. But God interrupted your life. Thank God he did. And look at where you are now compared to those you ran with and those you hung and those you grew up with. Think of your peers. So many of them are still blind to God's gospel. They're still hard to God's loving kindness. They're still bound to sin, disinterested. In the things of God. But you. But you. That love the Lord. But to you it's so clear. To you Jesus is so lovely. His love is so real. His promises are so sweet. His salvation is so powerful. The cross is so beautiful. You understood. You saw your need. It made sense to you. You responded to God's call. You received His Savior and His salvation. And now you are the chosen of God. Somebody, bless the name of the Lord. If you believe you're chosen, tell someone, I am chosen. I'm chosen. I don't know about you, but you got to call this for yourself. I know I'm saved. Amen. I know I've crossed from death unto life. Isn't that right? His spirit bears witness with my spirit. Amen. Oh, yeah. Now, if you're not sure, come out this altar before you leave and get sure. 
You've got to have the assurance. If you don't know, you don't got it. You've got to have the assurance of salvation. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Get the altar ready, Pastor Todd. We're going to have a few. Amen. Let's walk through our text this morning. That's our introduction. I want you to get this. Hallelujah. When you get saved, God puts a want to in your heart. If you don't got the want to, that might be a sign you don't got it. I'm going to ask you something. Brother Angel, Brother Torres, Brother Keith, Brother Doug, Brother Don, Leo. There were times we didn't come to church. You know why? We didn't want to go to church. Isn't that simple? If you wanted to go, no, who's going to stay? You're a grown man. Nobody's going to tell you you couldn't do something. If you wanted to come, you would have went. You know why you didn't go? Didn't want to go. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? <laughs> there was a time you didn't read the Bible. You know why? Didn't want to read the Bible. You could read, couldn't you? Very intelligent people. You read other things. Why didn't you read the Word of God? Didn't want to read the Word of God. And the minute you lose that desire to come to God's house and read God's Word, you better check something might have died. And if you never had that thing, it's a sign you never had salvation. They come together. Come on, say amen. Hey, glory to God. Come on, say amen. Woo! Feeling this. I'm feeling this. Let's continue to walk through our text. Highlighting what Paul saw that confirmed to him that these were the chosen of God. As we studied out, Paul sensed the inner witness of the spirit that God was working, but he also saw the outward evidence in their lives that God was working. Notice in verse 4, it says, we know. Verse 5, because. Verse 4 begins, because we know. Verse 5 begins, because. We're going to find out some becauses. Here's our outline. Number one, they received the true gospel. Verses 4 and 5, they received the true gospel. Number 2, they became true disciples. They became true disciples. They went beyond making a decision and became disciples. That's 6, 7, and 8. And then lastly, they became known for having a true conversion. They became known. Others testified. They're changed. They're different. Something happened to them. They became known for having a true conversion, verses 9 and 10. Let's begin. Number one, they received the true gospel. Go ahead and look at verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction or assurance. You know how we lived among you for your sake. All right. They received the true gospel. Paul could see the effect the gospel had on them. When, when something's happening, you see the effect. Amen? That baby comes out of the womb. You want to hear some noise. You want to hear it crying. You want to see effect. If there's no life, everyone gets very nervous. Come on. Paul could see the effect the gospel had on them. In verse 5, he says, our gospel. There's a lot of gospels out there. Make sure you believe in the right one. There's a lot of gospels out there. They're not all the gospel of Jesus Christ in line with the word of God. He said our gospel. He meant the message of Jesus and the good news of his death, burial, his resurrection, and his soon return to judge the nations and rule forever and ever. The story of God 
sending his only begotten son to be the sacrifice and the substitute for the sins of men, for you and for me. The proclamation that God, God has made a way for every man, any man, to receive the forgiveness of sins and be made right and reconciled, have peace with God and escape the judgment his sins deserve. You can be forgiven. You can be made whole. Whoever hears my voice, if you'll come to Christ and give your life to Christ, put your faith in Christ, the power of God will flow into your life. The forgiveness of God will come to your life. The the peace of God, the peace with God will come into your life. You received a true gospel. The gospel that we preach is a gospel that can save lost sinners from a devil's hell and transform them into sons and daughters of the living God. It has to be believed. It has to be received. But there is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform whosoever will come. Believe it. Receive it. Remember, when it comes to the word of God, response determines effect. Response, how someone responds to the word, determines the effect that word has on them. So with the gospel, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's look at that again. For the message, you see, the same message, but two different responses, two different results. The message is the same. But again, how I respond to the word of God is how the word of God responds to me. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I don't need it. Doesn't make sense. It's a bunch of baloney, whatever. But to us, anybody here being saved? (laughs) Ha ha. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the life-transforming power of God to take us and transform us and make us brand new. You notice how Paul describes the gospel message in verse 5. It came to this church in words, but not only in words. It came to the church in words, but not only in words. Not just a hollow rhetoric, more than just persuasive speech or passionate debate. This word contained three key elements here. Number one, it contained power. Verse 5, Paul said the gospel didn't come in word, but it came in power. Power that clothed the words. There was a power upon the words as Paul preached the gospel. It had a divine force upon it that penetrated and moved upon the hearts and the minds of its hearers. And who were some of these people Paul was preaching to? We act today as if some people think you need a new message. Why? That old message turned upside down. Empires that were worse than America, if you can imagine that. Cultures that were more dark and lost than America. But the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed them. Friend, it'll transform this generation if we'll be bold enough to preach it. And sold out enough to live it. Let's not understand. Who was Paul preaching to? Well, number one, some were idol worshippers, the Bible says. Men and women that lived in great darkness. Prisoners of terrible vices and passions and sin. And they needed more than a philosophy. They needed more than a ritual. They needed more than a self-help book. 
to set them free and transform their lives. They needed a touch from power from on high. They needed a gospel that could transform a life and set men and women free from the clutches of sin's hold and bondage. They needed the gospel of Christ. Others were God-fearers. They were men and women that were religious and striving to please a God they didn't know. They needed the light of God's revelation. They needed the light of God's word for salvation. So somehow they'd finally realize how one can get right with God. There's so many people that are truly religious. They're trying and they're trying. And they're trying somehow to get right with God. And they try their own human works. They try their merits. They try their superstitions. But it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, faith in Christ, that one is made righteous. There, there was idol worshipers. There was religious people that were just trying to find God. But then there were the Jews looking for the Messiah, looking for the one the prophet spoke of, the sacrifices pointed to, the nation had hoped for, and they found it in Jesus Christ. So to every type of hearer, to every type of need, to every type of sin, the gospel of Jesus Christ is and was the message that awakens, that delivers, and that transforms life, and he'll do it for you. Jesus is your answer. Beyond this, beyond that, come to Christ and become a new man. Come to Christ and become a new creature. Come to Christ and let his power set you free from the things that hold you and bind you and torment you day and night. Paul said this gospel was not just in words. It wasn't just something debated. It wasn't just who could argue better. This message was clothed with divine power that penetrated those darkened hearts, opened up those eyes. It came also in the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 5, power in the Holy Spirit. The message came with the Holy Spirit. It was more than just emotion. It was more than just winning a debate and an argument. The Spirit of the living God was at work in and through the message that Paul preached. And friend, we desperately need the power and the working of the Holy Spirit if we're going to do anything worthwhile and lasting for God's sake. Can you say amen for eternity's sake? We have to. Again, the prophet of old said, it's not by human might, it's not by men's power, but it's by God's Spirit, saith the Lord. It's by His Spirit. Many a Tuesday morning prayer meeting as we meet here and cry out to God, say, friends, let's just pray for a greater moving and measure of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Without the moving of God's Spirit, we can love everyone and we can hug everyone and we can shake their hands and we can be warm and friendly. But unless the Holy Spirit moves, no one will come to salvation. No wounded heart will be healed. No yoke of heaviness and discouragement will be broken. We need, desperately need, power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. As one writer says, he supplies the divine reality to the message. The Holy Spirit makes it real, illuminates it, penetrates, awakens, helps people to see. He draws men. You can't come unless the Spirit draws. We need the drawing power of the Spirit or no one will come to Christ. He is the one that penetrates that heart and begins to melt it. He is the one that opens those spiritually blinded eyes so men that were in darkness and deception can begin to see their need and see the Savior. He breaks sin's hold. 
There's a power greater than cocaine. There's a power greater than heroin. There's a power greater than alcohol. There's a power greater than pornography. There's a power greater than all the vices and the bondages known to man. It's the power of Jesus Christ as his spirit comes upon the person who wants to be healed, who yearns to be healed, and calls on the name of the Lord to be healed and set free. Can you say amen? There is a power. This was the gospel that he preached. He didn't give ritual. He didn't give self-help. He didn't give seven steps to being a better whatever. Preached the good news of a great God and a loving Savior. He preached man's a sinner, Jesus is a Savior. Come on, say amen. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, convicts or convinces men of their need. And he glorifies Jesus Christ through our efforts. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll glorify me. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, points men to Jesus. Hallelujah. Paul said this gospel came in power came in the Holy Spirit and it came with deep conviction or deep assurance. The message that he preached, he had the assurance, the conviction, the confidence that this was God's truth. This was God's reality. It was reliable. It was a truth. It was a message. Paul sensed it. He saw the working of it in their lives. Again, Paul had the inner witness as he preached it, as the Spirit bore witness to him as the message went forth and worked in their lives. And then Paul saw the witness as those lives began to get changed. And he saw the fruit of the spirits working in their lives, being transformed. Leon Morris, the commentator, writes about the gospel in the speaking of the gospel. The produce of the gospel. He said, eloquence is not the explanation of its effectiveness. For it was divine power at work when those men preached in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's more than just. It's more than just. I've seen that anointing. See, Nikki Cruz, I'll never forget hearing him one time at our church in Chicago. And Nikki, I don't know, I, his English sometimes is hard to grab. I got a hard time paying attention to that accent. That was tough. Pastor Impagna told me Spanish was just as bad, so I'll just take his word for it, because I didn't know that, but we had him. We had a Spanish night, we had an English night, and, and I, one night he's there, he just got off the plane, and he left his Bible, I'm giving him his Bible in the middle of the service, he left it somewhere, it was something. And he's preaching, I'm trying to follow him. And he's a little here and a little there, he seemed a little jet lagged to me, amen? But when that man of God got to the end of his message, and he began to talk about the blood of Jesus, in an auditorium about twice this size, it was as if I, I sensed the cloud of God just fell upon the whole place. Just watched grown men, gang people, almost running down, walking, fast walking down those aisles with tears, just streaming, hard guys, hard looking guys, tears, altar was packed. Pardon me, was saying, what'd they hear? I know what they heard. He might have been jumping around, but when he got to the end and he talked about the blood of Jesus, and the love of God, and he called men to salvation. The anointing and the power of God's Spirit was at work beyond an accent, beyond jumping. It was the Spirit of the living God flowing through an earthen vessel. And what a glorious harvest we saw in those days. Hallelujah. You know, it's been said concerning that Roman Empire, Empire that Paul was ministering to, that as strong as they were militarily, that's how weak and broken they were morally. 
Rome was a proud empire, a proud city. They ruled their world. Their legions were stationed all over their world. Yet as historians would say, their false gods and their great temples were useless. Their luxuries and all their spoils of war and conquering were helpless to satisfy and give them true peace and meaning to life within. Their souls were filled with emptiness. See, none of those things can fill man's greatest emptiness, and that needs to be filled by God. All these things that people think will fulfill and satisfy, they don't work because we were made by God, and we were made for God, and until we're right with God. One writer put it like this, they loved their vices, yet hated them at the same time. Enslaved by their own freedom. Freedom made them prisoners. And you know, times haven't changed much, have they? Power and pleasure and profits and perversions can never satisfy men's deepest needs. No matter how many men try to approve it and applaud it and promote it and try to normalize it, whether it be big business like Disney, whether it be the government that signs this into law and that into law, the perversions and the disregard for the gospel and the word of God will never satisfy the souls of men. In fact, in the long term, it will create a greater vacuum and a greater sorrow and a greater hopelessness. Trying to fill that void with the false and the counterfeit, it can't be done. The Roman Empire, for all they had materially and powerfully, they were empty on the inside. And you see the same way America goes. And oh, friend, Rome was ripe for revival. And so is America. And it can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in this gospel. There's power in this gospel. So let us never be ashamed of it. Now is not the time to water it down and shrink back from proclaiming it. Men need it now more than they ever have. Let's not be ashamed. Paul writes in Romans 1 and 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It'll save you. It'll transform you. It'll make you to the person you were created to be. The world needs to hear it. And it is the only hope of men. Let's not be ashamed, but let's be bold and loving as we declare it. There's power in the gospel. Let's proclaim the word of God with a urgency and a clarity and a confidence and a love. As we've been commissioned by our Savior, Jesus said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Proclaim the good news. Declare man's a sinner and God is a Savior. Man is a fallen sinner, but Jesus is a wonderful Savior that will save whoever comes to him. Again, the gospel is a gospel of power. Now is not the time to water it down. Now is not the time to be embarrassed of it. Now is the time to declare it stronger, bolder than we ever have before. It is the hope of man. It is the only hope of man. We need not to ever be ashamed of it. But we need to proclaim it boldly to every nation and every person and every culture. It's the truth for all men. It's the hope for all nations. And every generation must do their part to contend earnestly for this faith. Jude 3, note takers, contend earnestly for the faith, once and for all, entrusted. The faith, 
The gospel, the pure gospel, the true gospel, the Bible gospel is under attack. Uh, um, the judges try to attack it. The academics try to attack it. Fallen religion tries to attack it. And every generation, and I know younger generations, and I think I'm still part of some kind of younger generation. I'm not quite that old other one yet. Listen, it's so easy to point out what other generations did where they missed the mark. But I'll tell you one thing. Every generation up until now has stood firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it is and what it isn't. And this present generation needs to find some bold men and women that won't be ashamed to say, this is what the Bible preaches. This is what we will declare. We will won't water it down. We won't compromise it. It is the only hope for a lost human race. Can you say amen? We try to fool ourselves. Water it down. Don't be so strong on this or that. Has it been helping yet? Has it helped yet? Has it helped yet? No. It's appeased our conscience and gave us a reason not to stand for Christ, not to be firm, and to endure some of the things that others have had to endure. But it certainly hasn't helped the lost. Oh no. Oh no. Number one, we see that they received the true gospel. There is a true and there is a false gospel. They received the true gospel. It didn't just come in word. It came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. It came in full assurance and conviction. Number two, they became... True disciples. Verses 6 through 8. More than just a decision, they became disciples. Look at verses 6 through 8 with me, would you? Paul says, you became. Got to hear the right thing to become. You, You became imitators or followers of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. We'll pause there for a moment. Number one, they became true disciples. A disciple is a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. A, A disciple. Not just a casual acquaintance, but a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to note the the progress, the progression we see in these verses here. Number one in verse six, you became imitators or followers of us in the Lord Jesus. Now that word imitate, you can kind of see in that word, the word mimic. That's in the Greek word where we get the word mimic, right? To mimic is to copy someone, to pattern someone. He says, you became imitators or followers of us. Number one, I want us to notice the price of imitation, the price of following. He writes, in spite of suffering, in spite of affliction, in spite that it wasn't easy, the conditions and the atmosphere that you responded to the gospel, in spite of the fact that not everyone around you, your family and everyone else in your city was applauding your decision to give God your heart and serve the Lord and change your way of living to turn from those idols and follow Christ. Even though that wasn't easy, you did it. You followed after him. You imitated him. You followed the example we left you. Let us know here the price of imitation. Our discipleship will be tested. If you call yourself a Christian, your Christianity will be tested somewhere along the line. It'll be tested in a couple of different ways. But don't turn back, just keep marching. 
Just keep marching. It'll be tested in one way is from the outside, the pressures and persecutions of the world, like they went through. Amen? Others will try. Your family might come against you. Your friends might come against you. Relationships, on the job, so on and so forth, they come against you. But also, not only the pressures from without, those passions from within, the temptation to go back to sin, the temptation to go back and, and live the life where I don't got to carry a cross, where I'm going to deny myself. I can just enjoy that sin for a season. Many turn back from following Jesus when you read the Gospels. Remember that? But the chosen, they just kept following. But the chosen, they just kept following. You see, Jesus and Paul, they never preached an easy road to heaven. Jesus said, pick up your cross. He said, count the cost. He said, there's a narrow way. Amen? Now, Paul never preached an easy way either. In fact, he knew and he taught that all who chose to be followers and imitators of Christ would have to share in some measure with Christ's rejection and Christ's persecution and Christ's opposition. Where there's trials and there's tests of our faith and devotion to prove if we're real. There's afflictions that come, but whoever chooses to try to live righteously in this fallen world. But it's part of the Christian experience. But the chosen, they'll keep marching. But the chosen, they'll let other people do what they want to do. They'll keep their eyes on Jesus. And how's the old song go? That world behind me and that cross before me, no turning back. Martin Luther, the great reformer, that great German reformer, he wrote, If Christ wore a crown of thorns, why should his followers expect only a crown of roses? You see, these young believers imitated Paul. They followed Christ. And they found out there was a price for imitation. But secondly, they found out that the price also came with a privilege. Also came with a privilege. Listen, if you want to live for Christ, you can live for Christ. I want someone to hear, if you want to live for Christ, you can live for Christ. The price of imitation. The the challenge of this world comes with an enabling of the Spirit. More than just a pattern without to try to live this life, God imparts a power within so we can live this life. Look at that verse 6. Look at that verse 6. You became imitators of us in the Lord. You welcomed the message in the midst. There was severe suffering, affliction. There was persecution. But also, what else? What else? There was joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see, if you choose, really want to serve God, His Holy Spirit will give you the grace to serve God. If you really want to live right on that job, you can live right on that job because God's Spirit will enable you to live right on that job. If you will, He'll enable If you truly desire, he'll give you the grace you need. Stand by your side. With every test, there is the joy and the grace of the Holy Spirit to help us and to enable us. God's precious Holy Spirit now dwells within us, giving us the power you and I need to meet every trial, to meet every test, to live out this life regardless, regardless. Of the circumstances, God's grace within us is more than adequate to meet the task. Someone say amen. The privilege of imitation. 
I want someone to know you can live this life if you want to live this life. If you're willing to give Jesus your all, he'll give you his power and his presence to live it out and live it as more than a conqueror. You can, you can. Paul, I can do all things. You can live this life if you want to. The price, the privilege, the pattern of invitation. See, if you, if you follow Christ long enough, really sincerely, if you mimic, imitate, copy long enough, then sooner or later others will be able to imitate you. Then you, you that's a good goal, isn't it? Then you can become a pattern for others. Oh, look at verse 7. Come on, walk with me. Paul said, you know, you, you received this gospel even when it wasn't easy. But you found out when you come to Christ, he comes to you. You tapped into the life of God. You found out there was a power working in you that you didn't know when you're out doing your own thing. It's the power of the spirit of Christ. And he gave you the strength and grace you need to live for him even when things weren't hard. And you did that long enough, verse 7, and you became a model. How do you like that? Became a model. You You became a pattern. So all those other believers, Macedonia, Achaia, that's pretty much the two Roman provinces of Greece, throughout Greece. Wow. The pattern. They became a model to others. They became an example, the New King James, an example, a pattern. A pattern is something that someone else can follow and measure with. We study out this word. They were leaving their mark on others. They were living this life properly, Really leaving a mark on others. Really influencing others. We want to be a good influence for the gospel, don't we? See, we want to live for Christ so that others can see how it is. That's why we look at 1 Timothy 4 and 12. That's a familiar verse for most of us. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But instead, but be an example. Be an example. That word example, same pattern. Be, Be a copy of the believer in speech and in life and in love. So on and so forth. It's more than debating it, it's demonstrating it. It's living it out. And if he said this to the young men, how much more for us older people that should be examples. It's not just debating it and arguing about it. It's living it and showing others how this life is to be lived. Let us live in such a way that people can pattern themselves after the true believer. Let the young Christian see an example of how to treat your spouse, of how to honor God's house how to handle an offense, how to live like a believer on the job, how to go through the fire, and we all go through the fire. Let someone see how a Christian goes through it properly. Be that pattern. Be that example. Most of us have been saved long enough. We should be that pattern now. We've imitated Christ long enough. Others can imitate us. They became an example to others. Lord, help us to do likewise. You got to remember as you're living this life, others are watching you. Others are watching you. Most of you remember Billy Graham when he had that, uh, what was it? Um, I think it was Decision Magazine or he had the Hour Decision radio program and so forth. He said one time, Billy Graham, back in the 50s, I believe in Decision Magazine, he wrote, children will invariably talk, eat, walk, think, and respond and act like their parents. I know that can be scary at times, but just let's walk with it. So Billy Graham goes on to write, Give them a target to shoot for. 
Give them a goal to work towards. Give them a pattern with your life that they can see clearly. And you'll give them something that gold and silver can't buy. How many know not everyone does that, though? Not every parent chooses to live that example. I read about a class trip. First grade class took to a local pool, and the teacher's name was Jan. Well, anyway, one of the girls misplaced their towel. So that night, Jan received an angry call from the girl's mother who said someone had stolen her daughter's towel. She was enraged, you know, yada, yada. Some people always, everything's a big thing. Anyway, she's one of those. Trying to calm her down, Jan says, well, describe the towel. Maybe we can find it. Maybe it got left in the bus, whatever. And and, and the lady's still enraged. You know, these people get enraged nowadays. Amen? Over towels. Isn't that right? I'm telling you. But it's true, though. Isn't it right? All right, come on. Well, it's gray. It's got some blue trim. Oh, yeah, and it had Hyatt Regency written on it. Yeah. Not everyone's following that example to be that pattern, amen? To to show them how to live this life, isn't that right? Steal from the hotel, and then when someone else steals it, act like a real idiot when you want to get your rights and be in the right. Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) I'm winding it down. Keep that attitude, amen? Look at that last thought. Verse 8. The pattern became a proclamation. The pattern became a proclamation. Isn't that something? The pattern became, it said it rang out, it rang out. You see, in verse 8, it says here, it's beautiful. It says, the Lord's message rang out trumpeted forth from you not only throughout greek your faith in god has become known everywhere you know when you truly get saved everyone around you ought to know it isn't that right when you truly pass from death to life they might not believe it agree with it or understand it but everyone else might be something changed something different something happened here the, the world was testifying. It's not, we can all testify. Forget testifying about yourself. When the world starts testifying, they are different. They're serving God. They're not doing what they used to do. Then you know you got something. Amen? That's how they testify. What do they say about you in school or on the job? That's the real. That's the real. Most of us are on our best behavior in church. Oh, Lord. Our faith should say something. If it's real and genuine. It reverberated. It rang out. It sounded forth. Their faith was sounding out like a trumpet because they were radically saved. Their faith became known. And others should be able to testify about the reality of our Christianity. It's not enough just that we talk about it. It should be so real and so genuine. Others, that's that's what he said here. Others are testifying. Wow. I'll give these final thoughts, and I, and I believe it was Dr. Barkley that, that scribbled them. There was something so impressive about the early church. When all so-called common sense would have dictated a way of life that would blend in, avoid sticking out, avoid making ways, compromise was never an option for that early church. They loved their lives not unto death, isn't it right? 
Instead, their faith trumpeted into every corner of the Roman Empire and beyond. May our lives and may our witness speak loudly and clearly to our world concerning the gospel that we hold so dear. My friend, don't ever be afraid or ashamed to stand up, to stand apart, and to stand out for Jesus. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We're going to open our altars now. That was number two from our series, from our series in 1 Thessalonians. Our title was God's Chosen People, gleaning it from verse 4. These people responded to the gospel, and they gave their lives completely to Jesus. And when they were tested, and we're all tested, when they were tested, they proved true. And they become a pattern for others to imitate. Lord, help us to do likewise. We're going to open the altar. If you hear it today, and you've never made a serious commitment to Christ, really given him your life and that decision to live for him wholeheartedly, unashamedly, before you leave, come and make that decision. Don't put it off. If you don't know where you stand, if you're not living as the example you should be, let today be the day it stops. And by the grace of God, you're going to do your best to walk as a proper imitator, mimic, copy, example of the Lord Jesus and one that's truly saved. So your life can affect your world. Secondly, if you're here today and you just need a touch from God, maybe you need a touch physically, maybe you're thirsty for more of the Lord and you just want a fresh filling. Well, if you're thirsty, he'll fill you. Maybe you're going through something. You just need a brother and sister to come with you and pray a prayer of encouragement as you're facing something and you just want to come and get a prayer so you can go out there and face the weak and face it with courage and confidence that God, the good God, the forever merciful God, is going to work in your situation and give you the victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord, to be the pattern and the model. As parents, help us, Lord, to be the pattern and the model. For many of you, the only Christian on the job, Lord, help us to be the pattern and the model. For the young Christians and the young believers in our congregation, older saints, help us to be the pattern and the model. Stand with me, please, as we pray and open our altar. Stand with me, please. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we love you, we love you, we love you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have transformed us, that you have awakened us, that you have made us new creatures. You've given us fresh revelation and understanding. You've inspired our lives. You've resurrected us from the dead. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to live for you wholeheartedly, sincerely, unashamedly. Help us to be true disciples, dedicated followers of Jesus. Lord, use us to encourage other believers. And Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that ministers to us and through us. We thank you that you have given us power to live this life. That you have filled us afresh with power from on high so we can live 
and follow the example of Christ so we can overcome and be the ones he's called us to be. Now, fathers, we come to this altar with expectation, with sincere hunger and expectation. Father, by your spirit, minister to us and through us. Right now, oh God, touch your people. Fill every person that is thirsty and wants a fresh drink. Fill them. Refresh them. Lord, minister in your perfect way to your people as they seek you and make a fresh altar before you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, these altars are open. Let's sing this one time through. If you